Welcome, adventurers. This week, questions and answers from Season 1. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon. Today we're going to do something a little different. I'm with uh, my good friend Thomas James, uh, artist, illustrator, uh, role-playing extraordinaire, dungeon master, uh, D&D enthusiast, and liker of all things robotic. Uh, so we're going to do a little conversation here and find a little bit more about Season 1 and Tales from the Dungeon. Yeah, thanks for asking me to help out with this. No, I really appreciate it. Um, so I guess it's good to start at the beginning. Yeah. Um. What was the spark that started this whole project? I have been interested in voice acting for some time, and uh, just in general, I've always been a fan of stories, pretty much all of television, TV, reading, books, all of it, and fantasy has always been my, probably my first love and my biggest love, so I got to a point where I just decided if I was going to get into the voice acting industry, I to make my own portfolio, to, as it were, and so... It just finally came up to where the intersection of many things, Dungeons and Dragons, was coming back in my life. And, yeah, so it, it led to this concept that hit me in. And so there you go, we're one season in <laughs> storytelling. And... So speaking of the D&D part, yeah. what was the inspiration or desire to, to tie it to that kind of format? The D&D. To D&D. That's a, I don't know, that's a good question. Again, love of fantasy and then D&D just kind of coming back into my life. I had a friend that was, was very sick that played a lot, and I had been not played since childhood, basically. And kind of strangely, through the process of losing him, brought me back into the D&D fold and then really, mm -hmm. really found that I enjoyed Dungeons & Dragons a bunch. To me, it was because there's already kind of an encapsulated rule set and character classes and all these things for me kind of a very amateur writer it was an easy place to start because there was a lot of basic setup to tell stories from so it was mm -hmm. easy for me to basically be telling a story and kind of a pre-capsulated thing and actually it occurred after a campaign that i had started which somebody sitting else in the room was participating in <laughs> where i was already in the process of world building and so as i became curious about the world it, it just became, seemed like an easy thing to do was uh, tell stories about that world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and on that note of telling stories, yeah. one of the questions from your listeners was, when did you first realize you wanted to be a writer or storyteller? What's funny about writer is I would have never, ever guessed. I have no, no concept <laughs> of ever being a writer. Yeah, so I, I didn't know I wanted to be a writer at all, but it was a thing, again, to create this opportunity to narrate and tell stories, which is more what I wanted to do was be the, the teller of stories. There needed to be a story to tell. And instead of, you know, looking through old books, because you have to go pretty far back to tell a story without copyright on it, mm -hmm. uh, I just was like, well, I don't know, I'll give a shot writing a story. And, and it led me to, I actually was shocked to find out that I enjoyed the story writing process. So as far as wanting to be a writer, I didn't know I wanted to be a writer, mm -hmm. but through writing and the storytelling thing. So I would say more, I just, I, I'm, I'm an, I've always been enamored with storytelling in, in, in all the formats possible. So it's just one of those things that 
it kind of all led together, I guess, in its own weird way. So what is your your writing slash storytelling process and how much of it involves you just lying in bed at night, not being able to go to sleep? <laughs> There's a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. There is a lot of that. Yeah. So and I'm actually still struggling to come up with a, like, a more consistent process where I whatever. When this process started, I was like, can I even lay out 12 different theories or, or storylines? And so I kind of just started with very generic words, real certainly like vampire or, you know, guy goes into town, stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then saw, could I expand on it? And so my idea for my first story had come, come to me. And then when I wrote it, it was actually kind of surprising to me how quickly it came together in my head and the, mm-hmm. the concept of being in the present and how he got to where he was and kind of flopping back and forth between those two things. So I would say my process is still very chaotic and it is very much in my head. Like even as a a college student and a whatever, I always, I always compose in my head and then Mm -hmm. like until the last second and then, then put it down on paper. So there's still a lot of mental composition Mm -hmm. and yeah, there is times where we all be up just thinking about, wait, wait a minute, this actually connects to this or, or what, where I find in my own mind, basically, that there's, it's expanding, I guess, in, right. that, in that way. So, And speaking of those things connecting, sure, the format that you have done, at least in this season, is sure. separate, disparate stories that actually turn out to be all connected yeah. in that way. Is that something that you started out wanting to yeah. do, or is that something that happened over time or yeah. why how did that kind of inspiration yeah. to do with that literally that? literally no intention for that to occur the original idea was an audio comic strip and when i say that basically you've seen a newspaper you have some small blip every week and so my idea originally was just a 10 or 15 minute episode every week like a comic strip and the intent at that time was definitely not a connected laid out story but I spoke earlier about just writing down one word prompts, guy goes into town and guy dying in dungeon, all of these things, vampire, you know, uh, urchin in street and stuff like that. And so, but what was weird about the process and laying in bed and all those things is I wrote that first story. I realized when I started writing the second story, I'm like, wait a minute, this, this person or storyline actually does or can be connected and then just more and more as I thought about these things turned out that the first four or five stories I already had these ideas where I'm like wait a minute because I want to know more about that singular story it turned out that those other people in those stories were actually are connected Mm -hmm. and and yeah so it's definitely a it was it was was interesting to me too but my brain obviously works in a way where it wants to tie everything together like a spider with webs Mm -hmm. like why are those things all connected or are they all connected? Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, yeah, like I said, no, there was no intent for that, but it very much is that way. So the current beginning set of stories are turning into this much larger story of bigger arc that are all going to be connected. So mm-hmm. yeah, people that stick around and listen, there's a, a big, a big story will unfold with many people getting tied in. So was there ever a point where you regretted going down that path? Like, where you just, well, I just wish I could tell a story that didn't have to tie into something else. Or I don't, is it just, like you said, just, just the way your brain kind of starts to make connections? Sure. Uh, no, no regrets so far. I'll tell you. <laughs> let's talk again next season. But, yeah, no, as of yet, no regrets. Uh, 
No, because and I actually and I'm not still afraid to tell a one-off story. I'm not guaranteeing that Tales mm-hmm. from the Dungeon won't have one-off stories down the down the way. It's just so far, the stories that I have told are kind of all kind of interlinking. And actually, there are a few that I haven't decided how much they may very gently brush each other instead of directly connect. Though many of the stories I am telling are very directly connected, but there's one in particular that I haven't decided how much. It's going to come back with some effect, but I don't know mm-hmm. it's if it'll be any more than a little brush of flavor on mm-hmm. things. And I also think there are side stories that will peel off of side stories. So though the main characters through stories may come in, I do see myself telling stories about other people that interacted during mm-hmm. those stories as kind of one-offs and side bits. So, yeah, it's – no, I don't regret it at all. And so far – yeah, so far I'm happy with it. And in fact, it actually helps me organize – now it it kind of narrowed my focus now on telling this this greater story, right? Mm-hmm. And so just focusing on how those characters and how those people all get around to meeting each other and how their lives and, and interact. So yeah. Um so you're you're one season in. Yeah. Um and I'm wondering if there's anything that you've learned from doing this process, or as one of your listeners asked, is there anything that you wish you had known? When you started out? Uh, is there anything I wish I'd known when I started out? I would say... No, I, I, I it's still very chaotic, like I said, just because I don't have a day-to-day process. But is there anything I wish I'd known? The I wish... Let's take that back. I wish I had known more, and I still wish... I, I'm still very much learning about the technical aspects of of this, of the recording and the editing and the balancing the sounds and everything. So that's still something I'm working with is just the technical aspect of it. Mm-hmm. As far as the, I mean, I, I, like I said, I've been doing voiceover to a certain degree. So I already kind of had a knowledge of the recording process and all that stuff, just the basic stuff. But uh, it's been interesting, like trying to cut in sound effects and balance out uh, different voices and, and do all of these things. So, I think if I was stronger technically, it would be easier, take less time. But the writing is, like I said, has kind of been a joyous discovery. And uh, the storytelling, I really struggle with it when I'm talking to a certain degree. But a lot of times I'll be like super frustrated with my recording and then I'll go back and remaster. I mean, kind of master it and listen to it. I'm like, oh, it's all right. I'm actually pretty happy with how that came out. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So as far as what I knew, to, I think what I need more of and I'm continuing to work on is technical skills, actually. Mm-hmm. So okay, that's what I see from that front. Um, so fantasy obviously is heavily weighted, uh, definitely in the mainstream, with more male-centric stories. Sure. Um, but you have definitely more female characters. Yeah. Um, is that an intentional thing, or yeah. what was the inspiration behind yeah. doing that? Is it intentional? Yeah. Actually, well, yeah. When I wrote the first story... It's weird to me in the writing process to have, I feel like these, when they, when I am in bed and I am thinking these stories come to me and they kind of are, it is this process of me just telling a story that already exists outside of me. I know that kind of sounds, sometimes I'm like, when the story comes to me, I'm like, that's what the story is. I can't, I can't, I can't change it because that's the story that came to me. So Whatever. I was actually super paranoid that my first story is super male centric. It's all male characters, and I, I wasn't happy with it. But when I, I sat with it actually for a while and was like, "No, that's who's in that story, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to change that." But in the same right, the rest of this world that is created 
is based on yeah equality and and I have in my life a lot of really strong female people uh, examples people that have started businesses people that have lost their husbands and are now ready raising their daughters by themselves and kind of heroes in their own right so I just I'm kind of sick of the current political climate and I'm just ready for <clears throat> ready for a world where women are represented and and powerful and whatever and I think I really hope for our generation and I, I only have a son but I hope for my son and his generation that they grow up with those the women the young women in this generation grow up with stories where mm-hmm. they can do what they want and be what they want and yeah people right. of all races and colors and everything just be what you want like, mm-hmm. I'm sick of it let's get let's get beyond it all beyond be human and I would like that to be where we're going um so there you got a lot of questions from listeners about uh the stories themselves yeah so we can switch gears sure into that yeah um one of them being what happened to the gnome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to wrap my wife out here. This is my my wife every, every day. is like, what happened to the gnome? So the, the gnome we're discussing is there's Snare. He's in episodes one and two, and he's also in uh, episodes 13, 14, the final, uh, 12, 13, sorry, the final episodes. And we have the adventuring party winds up in an old temple in under a hill. Uh, as we know, it goes very poorly for the adventuring party as two of them are immediately perished. And one of them is who our main character, Yanif, that we talk about. And he winds up in a very bizarre circumstance in a dark place. He had no intention of being and something else is going on in there. Uh, in that the the gnomish thief disappears, uh, so I'm not going to answer too much. I will say that if you, I released on my Patreon page, a, a map and if you listen to episodes 13 and 14 and you look at that map and look at what the hobgoblins that were currently occupying that thing searched, there was a place they searched which appeared to be one thing. But if you look at map, you can see that there's more going on there. And I'm not saying anything, but that's probably where the thief is currently. <laughs> there's a clue there. Yeah, right? exactly. So that's probably not as much as my wife wanted to know. But there's a <laughs> lot more a lot more to come on the gnome, too. Okay. So the more stories will be told of him for sure. Great. Something to look forward to. Yeah. Um, so there's a question about uh, a quote from one of your stories, which is the oddest sensation of someone looking through the back of her eyes uh-huh. just before Mela hit Borvan yeah, on correct. fire. Yeah. So what is that about? So that was episodes, what are we, two, uh, no, three and four, uh, Hidden Among Barrels. We have the story of a young woman, and it's kind of the creation, her creation story. We find out she is a warlock. And warlocks have bonds with gods, and in that story, we find out it's kind of a two different stories going on. But we find out that she, as a young child, had this interaction with a an elder god, and uh, so during that part, what we kind of get the impression that elder god is a very unique uh, part of the world, basically, and what he does is just travels through the world and observes events. And so his his nature is literally to travel and to observe existence, and that's all. Well, we'll see. For now, that's 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 who he is. But her connection made to him. If you listen to the story, is unintentional. It was a situation where he was trying to find some information, and in, and in fact, made this unintended connection with uh, with this young character, Mela. To me, writing that story, when I imagine it. 
he, they are connected in a way that some of his power is bleeding into her. And so she's in a dangerous situation is struck and rolls to the ground. It has this magical response. Well, in that moment, as she's threatened, my my writing or my feeling of that is all of a sudden then that God is looking through her eyes in that moment just mm-hmm. to kind of observe what's going on with this other thing. So the feeling that someone was looking through their eyes, it's it's her connection to the elder God, the okay. stranger. Um, and it, if she's so powerful, why does she flee so easily? From sure. I think it's a great question about uh, why does she flee so easily? This is... It could be, I'm going to make it more than it probably is, but I think that we all have power, right? Like, we are all super powerful in our own way, and I think self-doubt is a huge deterrent from everything. So if you find out about her story, she doesn't know anything about before she was sick. She was turned over to an orphanage. She left the orphanage because she was kind of ostracized for being different as a magic user and not knowing what was going on. And so the life that she's lived until she's, I think, 17 or 18 when the story occurs is basically one to hide herself as something that's different and shameful and doesn't like who she is. So why does she run? There's four guys. There's, there, I think there were four, four thugs that attack her. She just is trying to get away. And, and, and mm-hmm. her whole thing, as she is now, is to hide and to not be seen. And so... She didn't even want to be in the situation, so her first instinct is escape, even though, whatever. And she's not very comfortable with her powers yet. She doesn't, even though she has magical powers, she wants to live unknown and unseen. And so mm-hmm. she's fleeing or running to try to maintain her anonymity in the city. She doesn't wind up in a city where she has to leave because she's caught up in some sort of thievery or crime. Mm-hmm. But so... It was her intent to escape, though through, as the story goes on, she's not given the option right. to escape, and that's why we see her back against the wall like any animal or anybody that's in a no-choice situation. That's right. when she chooses to unleash and right, let right. these guys know they were probably screwing with the wrong person. Um, so the character Irwin. Yeah. Why does Irwin feel compelled to tell, is it Byford? Yeah, Byford, yeah. Byford about his past lives. So if we listen to that story, you have, it starts out with two old men, one basically at the death, watching the death of his friend, being witnessing the end of his friend's life. And then the other story, we eventually find out that the the old man, appearing old man is not actually an old man, but a vampire that has lived many lives. And he is, uh, let's see, he is an odd character in the way that I was trying to tell a story about a vampire that wasn't evil, but in the Dungeon Master's Guide, it very much describes turning into a vampire as like all your goodness is washed away from you. Mm-hmm. So I went on to tell a story about a situation in which he wasn't evil and winds up as this vampire that kind of lives in the shadows and, and lives life after life, kind of hidden basically, and tries to help out singular people. So he, throughout his whole life, was the best friend of this the other character, the stature, and the normal person in a village. And they're best friends throughout their whole lives. So as Byford is dying, he starts having these realizations of all these weird events and his final passing of, of like, wait a minute, how is it possible that you, who, it, to his knowledge, that uh, that Irwin was just a sickly poet, but all of a sudden he starts connecting the dots in his final hours about, like, wait a minute, if you're a sickly poet, how did this happen and how did this happen and what's going on here? So... I would say, why did he tell him and not let him die? Is I, they're best friends, so I think even 
in that final moment and knowing that those final moments or whatever it is that is that Irwin being his best friend was unable to lie to him in that final thing and let send him on his way, whatever. I think he would have happily let him go had nothing ever come up and it would have been, but I just think the end of that story was because they were best friends and had lived as best friends. He wasn't going to send his final, send him on his way finally with him lying to him about who he was, even though, and in his, his different lives allow him to be a singular person and in his desire, he would be that to keep himself hidden from danger as well. Other vampires that may hunt him down, not liking the fact that he's a good, good vampire as Mm -hmm. it were. So, so was there some element of always wanting to tell him that, and this is his last chance? I don't know. I don't know that that's, this is no, I don't think so at all. I think, it, I think he would have, like I said, happily let him go mm-hmm. into the thing, believing everything that he'd believe. And in, in, I think in Irwin's mind, there's nothing untrue about the life he lived. He knows he's living one human length life at a time. And so it's kind of his, his collection of experiences. And he would have been happy to let that go as it was and call that, that collection of that experience. But in the same right, there was nothing in Irwin's nature that would, the deception is only that he would never have aged and it would have been odd. But so in his attempt to live in those lives, he lived his whole life. So, but yeah, no, I don't think there's any, I think he would have told him and there's no way Mm -hmm. as through their friendship. But so. So speaking of vampires. Yeah. Why does Frayne have to be exiled from holiness because of his vampire nature. Yeah, so at the end of that story, or not the end, as that story culminates, we we begin to see that those two stories are connected and that Frayne is, in fact, Irwin. And when that happens, the way I have it, the mechanism I used in the game is there's a thing called divine intervention, which clerics get a 10th level, and using that mechanism... My guess is it's supposed to be a little less powerful than it is in that case, but <laughs> there is a situation where he's basically, he's being turned, <laughs> not basically, he's being turned to vampire, and that at that exact moment is when his god, Garion, intervenes and stops the transform, when I say stops, he doesn't actually manage to stop the transform- transformation in total, and so in that story, the way I saw it, his body is transformed completely into vampire. And the only thing his God is able to do is basically save his soul and allow him to retain his free will. So when he retains his free will, it makes him different enough as is. But the situation I imagine in my mind is with the vampiric body, he is no longer able to maintain that spiritual connection with directly with his God and enough of a way to allow him to, to have ex- expressed the, the holy powers that would be imbued to a normal D and D character spell mm-hmm. casting and all those things. Anyway, the, the, it's cut off that, that, that connection is cut off through the physicality of what he's been changed into. So you basically have a good spirit residing in a physically evil form and so, but as we see with him, what he chooses to do with it. So I wouldn't say in any way, shape or form that, that Irwin or Frayne is evil. Mm-hmm. You have him living his best life. It's basically as if the phone line was connect, cut, the physical transformation cut the phone line. Mm-hmm. And because of those physicalities, he can no longer be whatever. But so is he still holy? Not in a clerical sense, but I think 
and makes his story all the more interesting that he still chooses to live in a good way instead mm-hmm. of instead of in an evil way. So the it's the my in my mind it was the physicality that stopped right just his only his connection to physical powers basically. Got so, it. Yeah. Uh, another character question. Who's, yep. who's M- Esmeray? Esmeray, yeah. Esmeray looking for? Working for? Working for? Who's she working for? Uh, to my knowledge, and as the story has come to me, Esmeray is not working for anybody. Leave it at that. She's the, <laughs> she's the wizard that uh, that hires Karya to procure a dangerous item. So we'll see some more of that. But as who's she working for? Esmeray, to, to my knowledge, is not working for anybody other than herself. Okay. Yeah. At least not yet. <laughs> not yet. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we talked about a little bit about different characters, sure. storylines happening. Yeah. Um, would you? Is there a certain character or story arc that, as of this first season, sure, you feel might be your favorite, or that you really, yeah, have may become invested in, or just yeah, taken a liking to. Sure. Uh, that's interesting. But as we talked about, the stories are connected. So when we say, is there one character arc we're going to find <laughs> about? There's not too many character arcs, really. Uh, I really like Mela a lot. The character of her just kind of being disparaged. And she has a lot of growth and potential to come to, to the young warlock that was in the street. So I think she has a ton of potential to come. And then just as far as personal investment, the story of Frayne actually for me was... Uh, having lost two friends real recently to cancer and my most recent friend we lost and spent time with in the hospital. So I feel real connected to that story because of that experience of sitting with someone as they pass. So I mm-hmm. think for me, that character of frame and, and choosing choosing to be with somebody as they pass is just kind of a really powerful moment. So I guess in almost a therapeutic sort of way, like that story was was good for me to write because it felt it it felt important to me to connect with the pa- death and passing, like mm-hmm. whatever. And that story is it on several levels. You know, the the title is his last night, and it it's his last night in the way that that's by Byford's last night as he's going to die. It's the last night of Irwin as well because that that character that life is not going to be lived any longer. And it was the last night of Frayne as well. It was yeah, story of kind of loss, and it connected with me where I have been and where I am right now. So. And was drawing from your personal experience, was that an intentional thing or was it something that you, you kind of happened and you realized either while it was happening or in hindsight? I think I realized it wasn't intentional. Mm, I'm going to say not necessarily intentional, but also as I was writing, it was very much obvious to me of that the themes in it were something that I had experienced and were mm-hmm. going through. So. It definitely wasn't something where I turned around and went, oh, oh, look what I did. I knew, I knew as I was writing that those, those themes of, of death and loss and losing a friend and stuff were, were throughout, you know, woven throughout the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you mentioned a little bit about how um, you put out a map to go with the stories. Sure. And another element of this project is releasing character yeah, sheets. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what's your thinking behind doing that and what do you want your listeners to take away from these additional items you mentioned that there could be a clue in the map yeah something that wasn't spoken in a story but what's what what would you like 
to for your listeners to take away or get out of these additional well, I think features. I think when you look go to my Patreon page it says that my stories are based on Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition. So without these sort of additional pieces of of data of information, there's you somebody that hadn't played Dungeons and Dragons, if they listen to these stories may there be maybe nothing that l- linked them to Dungeons and Dragons. So the casual listener could just go, it's just a fantasy story, right? But I'm hoping to garner some people that are more into the Dungeons and Dragons aspect and kind of seeing seeing that aspect. So the release of the character sheets, the the telling of the stories, the release of the maps, those are just awesome elements of Dungeons and Dragons. I think if you love Dungeons and Dragons, there's no one that doesn't want to just keep rolling characters even if you never play them. Mm-hmm. And and looking at maps and the, the I think the artistry of and the the elements of Dungeons and Dragons are as appealing to a lot of people as as playing it. So I think just putting these little extra pieces out have allowed me to maybe someone that listens to that story and is really into Dungeons and Dragons can pick up that character sheet and maybe be drawn a little closer to the story through the oh look this character is this and mm-hmm. with these skills and of these stats and stuff and maybe there's some ways they're you know, it represented a manifest in the story too. So, you know, super strong, super fast, arrogant, sad, all these different things. So Mm -hmm. that's just another way to kind of connect, hopefully the Dungeons and Dragons crowd to what I'm, what I'm doing, what I'm telling. And do you create a character sheet in the creation of the character before the story or (laughs) does the story inform the character sheet? Yeah, no. So, so far, this is funny. My (laughs) wife just asked me this last night was, because she listened to my, I kind of addressed it real briefly in my previous episode was talking about the rules and the stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so far I have rolled every single character and I have rolled them before the story. Not that I don't know what they are, right. but it's also an interesting, it's an interesting exercise in in the fact that the way you roll characters, you can kind of make whatever you want. And so... The honest process I've used, I've rolled 46, I've d- dumped the lowest one and then arranged them how I wanted, and I've picked the best out of three sets of that. So all of my characters have presented themselves in that process, basically. I've rolled those three sets and go, oh, there it is, that's Karia, or oh, there it is, that's that's Frayn, or oh, mm-hmm. yep, there it is, it's definitely uh, Yanef. And so to, to date, all of those characters, as I've rolled them, have been rolled ahead of time and then leveled up, whatever. So... To begin with, the roles and whatever, but then the story also informs how I chose to level them up. What what did I? What skills did I pick along their advancement paths? So, right. But yeah, it just shows that the game is real versatile, and you can kind of become what you want to become in a story with through the game and through the rules and through the character. So yeah, so far they've all been. It we'll see the the the. the the second question is what happens on the day when I roll a bunch and go, whoops, that character isn't in there. And so I haven't crossed that bridge yet, but mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. And what about secondary characters or as D&D players would know them, NPCs? NPCs. How much thought goes into them? Are there character sheets for any of them? No, not so far. And actually, so, I mean, at least the original adventuring party, there's going to be a lot of stories there of the initial party there will be at least two of them that are flushed out and thus will probably get their own character sheet as the story becomes about them or their how they came to be in that that uh that temple under the hill how they came to be a group of of adventurers so i think those will will come together we have had the last two stories were monster centric actually and so 
no character sheets released necessarily, but the way I talked about it when I was talking last week in the rules is what do you know as a dungeon master? What do you know about your NPCs? How much character and thought have you flushed out or given to them? You know what I mean? What's mm-hmm. what's their cause and purpose more than, you know, a bunch of numbers on a page? Do they, why are they where are they are? Are they, you know, it's like to me as a dungeon master, what are all the background forces moving in your world and how many of them do you know? Like I know there's a lot of dungeon masters that are super duper seat of the pants and there's dungeon masters that have written down everything under the sun, which I probably find myself to be more of that thing. Mm-hmm. And hope I'm hoping to transition to somewhere kind of in between <laughs> the two, but right now I find myself being a write everything down and you mm-hmm. wind up in a situation where it's unlikely that anyone's going to run anything that you haven't already written down. So right. yeah. Will we see more of monsters? I don't know. Yeah. No character sheets for the monsters per se. Uh, but I have been putting just, you know, re- represent or references to uh, pages on the monster manual and mm-hmm. whatnot. And it kind of explaining their powers and abilities. So do you draw from, from the stat blocks and stuff? Yeah, absolutely. That? Yeah. So that, like I said, the, the second to last story, fishy business, we have a doppelganger. And as you listen to the story, you can tell he's a doppelganger. I mean, if you don't know what a doppelganger is, you wouldn't know necessarily what's going on, but mm-hmm. you can go something weird is going on for sure. <laughs> and then the last one is it's the first story basically told over again, but it's told over from the view of the hobgoblins. Mm-hmm. But there is a lot of stuff that I drew from the monster manual as to the characteristics of the hobgoblins and specifically why why was that hobgoblin group in a random temple in the middle of nowhere. So it would seem weird if you just looked at it at first, but if you look at it again, there was very much a reason for those guys to be there. Right. And it followed with what hobgoblins are and now are described as in the monster manual. Mm-hmm. So yeah, who they are. And then the, yeah, the, the general, which is a hobgoblin warlord is very much the stereotypical hobgoblin of super martial, super yeah, violent, just into right. yeah, martial prowess and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, I think a good thing to close on sure. would be what can what kind of nugget can you give your listeners as as in terms of what's coming in season two? Sure. Like, is there any kind of teaser you'd like to put out there? For or, season or, two. And that can that can be both in your process. Do you sure. see anything changing in your process? Yeah. Or what 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 can we look forward to in Se- season two? Season two. Yeah. Well, I just put out a poll today, actually. So if you want some input, you can go to my Patreon page and vote on there's a there's a choice between do we want to hear more about Ortoval or snare the characters from the first episode uh so we're going to hear more about at least one of those uh i will tell you that we will hear more about the characters karia vardish the thief and her exploits i believe we will hear more about mela in season two and there was another polls that were released throughout the season that allowed uh listeners to kind of Help shape a story which is going to wind up being a silver dragon fighting a evil party. So that that was shaped by listeners and mm-hmm. will be presented in season two. And will it be part of the story or will it not? We'll see in season two. Is that is that also going to be incorporated? That the good dragon evil party does that fit into this kind of thing we're dealing with? That's something we'll see in season two. And then uh, the last thing is there's a. And I haven't finished the discussion yet, but as though I have one natural 20-tier uh, member, Carolyn Carney, and so she actually, as part of her benefits, gets to hand me a topic. So I'm still excited to 
mm-hmm. get a topic from somebody else and see what I can do with it. Mm-hmm. So season two. Season two, the story grows, I think. You're not uh-huh. going to see right. – you're not going to see – we're not be sharpening the knife yet. The knife we're getting bigger still, <laughs> and seeing the interconnections and stuff. And then, how much of season two do you know at this point? Uh, I'm mostly laid out at this point. Okay. So I had not written yet, but as far as outline and layout, I have mm-hmm. I haven't mostly blocked out as far as what's coming. I mean, mm-hmm. as far as which stories will be written, uh, there will be some maybe some changes based on the votes on uh, Ortoval versus Snare. Uh, but other than that, I have it pretty much laid out. So. All right. All right. Great. That's all I have. All right. Looking thanks. Forward to it. I really appreciate it, Thomas. Thanks for your yeah, time. Thank you. Anything you'd like to say about yourself? No, that's, all right. that's your time. <laughs> all right. Very much. <laughs> thanks. Much appreciated, yeah, sir. My pleasure. All right. And with that, season one has come to a close. Thank you so much for all of your support. Please join me after a one week break, which I am taking to catch up on writing and recording for the beginning of Season 2 of Tales from the Dungeon. Uh, you know what time it is. It's the time where I say... Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And then I also ask you a minor favor, if you might. Uh, if you like Tales from the Dungeon and have been listening through season one, uh, just go ahead and tell somebody about it or leave a review on wherever you're listening or give it a thumbs up or a like wherever you're listening. I really would appreciate it, and it means the world, and it gets it out to more listeners so that this continue can continue to be a thing. So thank you for your support. Thank you for considering taking some time to help others find out about the show. And again, if you want to be a much bigger part, you could always become a patron of Tales from the Dungeon and have extremely early access release. You'll get to listen to episodes maybe two months before other folks. So again, the... Patreon page website is www.patreon.com forward slash Speaking Stone Studio. And if you head over there and become a patron, you will have my undying love. Thanks so much. Keep on listening. More great stuff to come. Thanks. <laughs>